0: Well, it's a new year, isn't it? A chance to plan and prepare for what might come next. But for many people, it also serves as an opportunity to look back, to reflect, to see what has been, and if anything, what needs to change or, or what we've learned over the past 12 months. And for me, as pastor, as one of the leaders here in Amford Evangelical Church, It's been an opportunity to reflect on some of the places in God's Word where we've been together and some of the themes, some of the lessons perhaps that we've skimmed over that have been there for us to learn and yet we've missed that opportunity. For a long time we've been in the Book of Acts on Sunday mornings and one of the things we've noticed time and time again in the Book of Acts is the centrality and the importance of prayer in the life of the early church it's one of the things that is described as being an obsession a cornerstone in the church that these were people who devoted themselves to prayer if you remember when we looked at that passage about uh, serving the widows one of the things that the apostles said that they were to do was to give themselves over to to prayer and proclamation of the word We've heard the prayers of the church, we've seen them pray at desperate times. Prayer was a a big theme, has been, will continue to be, when we move back into the book of Acts. We might even reflect further back in our time in Luke. Luke um, sharing the, the good news about Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Messiah. Prayer was actually a pretty important factor in that gospel as well. Prayer was a pretty important factor in the life of Jesus. More than just the places that we've been on Sunday mornings, I've been reflecting on where we've been in our rooted groups, our home groups. Most recently in Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And time after time after time, when faced with specific situations, it seems to be that what comes out of God's people is prayer. Before that, we were in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and prayer was there throughout. Even if I was to reflect back now, where we began 2022, if you remember, we spent weeks and weeks in the Great Commission, Jesus's final words to his followers in the Gospel of Mark. I'm tempted to stop and to consider his final, final words having laid bare this epic mission of going to the ends of the earth, even to make disciples in his name, in the Father's name, in the name of the Holy Spirit. He leaves them with this promise, this encouragement, that he will be with them even to the end of the age. A promise that was supposed to sustain and encourage his followers. New Year, a chance to reflect. I would ask the question, has that been something that sustained us in the last 12 months? The access that we have to God the Father through Jesus by his spirit. That nearness that Jesus promised we would always have. Well, this morning I want us to think about prayer. Two times. In the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus shares a particular prayer. And it's illuminating, actually, if you look at the pair of them, the differences between those occasions. First comes in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching, if you like, the masses. Those who have gathered by the mountainside to hear his manifesto for what human life could be like, what human life should be like. Jesus unpacking, exploring what it means to be a citizen in his kingdom. And one of the things that he wants to teach those people, his followers to do, is to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, this is what he says. Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but instead deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer most of us know off by heart in some way, shape or form. Culturally, we will have grown up praying it in assemblies, perhaps saying it together. Even in this online service, John has encouraged us to pray that prayer together. I wonder if you've ever looked at that account in Matthew and put it up side by side with the account in Luke 11. In Luke 11, it's slightly different circumstances. The disciples come to Jesus. They ask him to teach them how to pray. And he responds in a very similar fashion, albeit in a slightly altered or a slightly abbreviated form. Father, he says... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sinned against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, lots of people will put these two prayers side by side and sort of enumerate the things that are different, what's missing in Luke that is present in Matthew. But that's not really the difference I want us to focus on or to notice this morning. What I want us to see is the occasion for both of those prayers being given. In Matthew, it's Jesus demonstrating that he desires that the God who has eternally existed and entered into our world, who has taken on flesh, he desires that that we who follow after him would be a people of prayer. Isn't that amazing that God wants us to pray? That's Matthew 6. Folks gathered round and Jesus dictates the, the topics. Jesus dictates the content of what he's teaching. Now go to Luke 11 and it's different. Here the disciples come to Jesus. They gather around Jesus and they ask him specifically, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John's followers teach, uh, have been taught by him to pray. In this occasion, it's not Jesus wanting the disciples to pray. It's them themselves seeing, valuing something in prayer and recognising that Jesus is someone who can lead them to grow in it. That's the the real difference between the two and I think a massive encouragement for us this morning when we recognise that prayer is something that God wants for us and is, if we're honest, something that we want for ourselves. Prayer is often a, a very natural reflex for all humanity, when we're faced with certain um, situations, certain crisis in particular, prayer is something which naturally bubbles up and out of us, isn't it? We all want to be people of prayer. The scriptures command us that those who follow after Jesus, his disciples, should be people who pray, in Paul's words, even people who pray unceasingly, and we want to be obedient. And yet, for so many of us, we read the book of Acts. We read the gospel of Luke and and witness Jesus' prayer life. We hear Paul praying for, for believers in churches in so many different circumstances, and we think, I just don't get it. My prayer life is nowhere near that. Prayer is nowhere near as important to me Or to us, as it seems to be, to these Jesus followers in the Bible. Prayer is something that we feel uncomfortable doing, uh, uncertain about, alone and especially together. And perhaps there's a reason for that. Perhaps it's because we've all had our own experiences of prayer. We've all had our own upbringing in prayer and and helpful little tidbits and pieces of uh, advice which have helped shape our expectations in prayer and our understanding of what prayer is and what it's for. And it's just an absolute mishmash in us and especially when we're drawn together. Let me give you another example. Exercise. We all at some way, at some time in our lives will have exercised. And so we have, each of us, an idea in our brain of what that means. For some people, it's not exercise unless you're absolutely sweating cobs. Unless you've been out running and you you can't breathe and and you're drenched from the exertion. That's what exercise is to you. For others, exercise might be more closely aligned to enjoyment. It can be casual. It can be relatively stress and strain-free a round of golf for example. You're out there filling your lungs with fresh air, walking through nature, moving your body, that's exercise. For others, still, exercise might be closely linked to that sound of of clinking metal plates in the gymnasium, using machines, lifting up bars and dropping them again. That's what exercise is. And there's an extent to which each and every one of those definitions or expectations is right. It's proper. It's true. But when you bring people together that have these experiences and these uh, expectations, which are so diverse and divergent, it basically means they they can't exercise together. Or, Or there'll be frustrations and confusions about what exercise truly is. I think it's something similar when it comes to prayer for us. That we all have those expectations, we all have those experiences. And very often they don't even align in us, let alone when we come together. That's one of the reasons I think that we don't value prayer as much as God's people and God's word do. That we don't utilise it as much ourselves and corporately together. One of the things that we will notice, though, if we study God's word, these people we look up to as champions of prayer, people who have taken seriously not just the responsibility to pray, but the privilege of prayer, is that there is a common thread. The common thread is this, is that when God's people pray, they start with God again. As I mentioned, you put those two Lord's prayers side by side and there are lots of things that are different. But here's one similarity. They begin with a, with a declaration, a statement of truth about who God is, especially who God is in relation to us. He is a father in heaven. You look elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah chapter one. We've spent time there together in our rooted groups, haven't we? In Nehemiah chapter 1, he has this issue, this burning desire to to make his way back from Babylon to Jerusalem, to be part of the rebuilding process. But where does he begin his prayer? He begins by declaring who God is. The same could be said to be true for Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, if you remember the story, there's (laughs) danger. Daniel and his friends have been lumped in together with these sages, with these mystics, with these magicians in Babylon. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is unhappy with them and they're all going to be executed en masse. So Daniel grabs his three friends together and he says, let's pray for mercy from the God of heaven. There is something that we need to pray about, but before we even get there, we need to recognise, we need to immerse ourselves in, we need to bathe in the truth of who God is. See, one of the things that I think actually has helped and hindered us in prayer is that many of us have been taught the sort of ingredients that you need to make a good prayer. You know, like if you're making a cake or a pancake or even some Yorkshire puddings, uh, the ingredients are reasonably similar. You need eggs, you need milk, you need flour. You mix them together in different ways, different quantities, heat them, treat them differently, and, and something different pops out at the end. But those are the ingredients that you need. And many of us have been taught, helpfully, in many respects, that to pray as Jesus taught us to pray We need to do things like adoration, petition, and intercession. We need to praise God for who he is. Then we can ask God for things for ourselves. And even if we're selfless people, we will ask things from God for other people. But the problem is with those sorts of formulas. The problem is with that idea that praying is like gathering these ingredients together is this. Is that very often that first aspect. Adoring God, starting with God, is just like some sort of prelude. Just like some sort of weird introduction to the act of prayer. That saying good things about God is a way of buttering him up, so that when we get to the meat of prayer, making requests to him, well now he's going to be favourably disposed to saying yes to the things that we ask. But is that what prayer is? Is prayer all about prayer? Twisting God's arm, getting him to a place where he's going to say yes to the things that we ask for? Or is prayer really that first bit? Immersing ourselves in, bathing in the truth about who God is. Ourselves being impacted and changed by that. And then, and only then, responding rightly to God and asking him in a way that makes sense, given who we've understood him to be. Let's just do a quick thought experiment here. Thinking about that passage in Acts where the the apostles hand over the responsibility of sharing the things amongst God's people, the serving of the widows um, and those in need. And they, they use that expression, it wouldn't be right for us to be distracted by this because we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now here's a thought experiment. Why is it important that they devote themselves to pray? Is it because they're the sorts of people that God is more likely to say yes to? Leave with us the job of praying, of petitioning, of asking God for things because, look, he's well-pleased with us and he's far more likely to say yes to me than he is to Philip or any of the other deacons that we've appointed. Or can we understand it like this? If prayer is about mostly immersing ourselves in God... Um, informing our minds and and filling our hearts with the truth about him. Isn't it so important that these men who have been called in in a special and a specific way to share Christ and to share the gospel with others, that they would spend their times in prayer, being more and more informed, more and more confirmed in the truth about Jesus. That they need to be amongst all of God's people, the ones who are supremely confident in, saturated with the way, the truth and the life. At the beginning of the year, when we were in the Great Commission, remember I used that illustration that we need to be pouring ourselves out, but only if we're being filled up. These are people who have been commissioned to, to empty themselves, empty themselves freely, broadly, indiscriminately. Of the good news, the hope, the truth that we have in Jesus. And so they need to be above and above all people who are filling themselves up. Because each and every one of us is a battleground. There is a battle raging on in you and in me and in us for our minds and our hearts. Again, think back to our time in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And Paul describes a time when when the believers in Ephesus were on a path to ruin. They were on a path to destruction. Chapter 2, he describes them as being dead in their transgressions and sin because they were being led. They were being informed by the world, the prince of the air, even their own sinful, selfish selves. Thank God that Christ has come. Christ has breathed life into us. Christ has opened our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the truth. That has been revealed. In Ephesians, salvation is very much about coming to know the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. By the time we get to the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul warns the believers and warns the believers that that battle, that war which Jesus has won, bring them from death into life, it doesn't mean that the battle is over. He warns them that the enemy is still there, that the world and its ways, that our own sinful, selfish nature wants to lead us back into lies, into darkness, into untruth. Don't you feel that each and every morning when you wake up? That there is news bombarding us, information, stories, lies that undermine the truth of who God is and what he has in store for us. Paul says to arm ourselves by putting on the full armour of God. To dress in Christ's righteousness, the, the, the goodness of the gospel. The shield of faith. Paul encourages them to pray. To pray in such a way where they, well, can I put it like this? Pray less. One of our problems is we think that we have to move on from adoration. That we have to move on from contemplating. Immersing ourselves in the truth of God. Paul says when the devil schemes Collide When they coalesce around you, when the world is at its loudest trying to lead you astray, stop and dive into him. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a people of prayer like we encounter in God's word this year in 2023, individually and corporately. And I believe that means we need to learn how to pray less because we move on way too quickly. We treat that first element, that first ingredient, like it's just, I don't know, greasing the tin as we're making the cake. We don't understand it's the foundation on which the entire building must stand. This is the element, this is the aspect of prayer that we need to go deeper into. That we need to get to grips with, that we need to be satisfied with in its entirety if we truly want to grow in prayer and we truly want to grow as believers. And perhaps this will mean a slight shift in how we describe prayer, how we how we envisage prayer. Instead of maybe asking the question, what should I be praying for? Which implies this sense that prayer is just about making Requests. Perhaps our language should be, what should I be praying about? What should be the content of my prayer? What should be, I don't know, just the environment of my prayer? And I believe the answer is, it should be him and his will. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your name be hallowed above all. You are our Father. You are not distant. You are not uninterested. You are one who loves us and cares for us. We need to pray less. Someone shared this description of prayer with me. And I know we can find 101 different definitions that will resonate. But this, this I thought was bang on the money for us at the start of this new year. Prayer is that way in which we keep in tune with the one who knows best. Prayer is the way that we immerse ourselves in the truth. How different is that to how we often treat prayer, think about prayer? We're going to have a prayer meeting. Well, what are the things we're going to pray about? No. And start my day with prayer. I need to make a list of things to ask God for. Prayer is that way to keep in tune with the one who knows best. To immerse ourselves in the truth. Believe it or not, being in tune with God is not a natural state for us, is it? And even when we get tuned in, as as Paul articulates in his letter to the Ephesian church, there's a world out there and there's a world in here that wants to lead us elsewhere. So where do we go? How do we move forward? How do we lay claim to that sustaining thing that Jesus promised that I will be with you as you go out into this difficult world? Well, I think we need to begin by forgetting all of the fancy mnemonics, all of the patterns, all of the theories we may have thrown at us. They may be helpful and we might go back to them in in future weeks, in future months, in future days but we need to get the foundation right. The foundation of dwelling in the truth. It's not just one ingredient amongst many, it's the foundation on which the rest is built. So, try this. Marinate yourselves in him above all else. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, well, let's just think, for example, we've got an alpha course starting on the 19th of January. And you're all invited to, to share an invite with your friends, your family members, um, club mates, colleagues, neighbours, whoever. And In church on Sunday, we'll have actual physical invitations which you can pick up and take and give. And our temptation when we think about praying in that situation will be to pray something like, oh dear God, there's your adoration. Make it so that the person says, yes, take away my fear of being rejected. That our prayer about that will be these requests that we think, God, I need to call you into action. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's missing the very point or the potential, the power that we have in prayer. Here's what we need to pray in that situation. It's not for somebody to say yes or no. God's already in control of that. It's not even to pray for a change in me, because God will work a change in us if we pray in the right way. It's to pray and to remind ourselves of how big, how epic, how awesome he is. I mean, what do we fear when we have this moment of having an invitation that we might extend to someone else? We might fear that they'll think less of us. We might fear that they'll respond with hostility. We might fear that it it lands on deaf ears. And what do we need to meet those fears? We need God. We need the truth about him to be louder in our lives than any of the lies that the world or Satan or ourselves might tell. We need to fill Our minds fill our hearts with the fact that he is a God of absolute grandeur, who is a God who is far more concerned with the lost than we are, a God who desires to be known by those we might invite far more than we desire them to know him, a God who we know in Christ and even if we lost a relationship with a a friend or a colleague or a family member over this invite a God whose relationship, whose love cannot be taken away. So our prayer shouldn't be Lord God make them say yes Lord God make me not scared. Our prayer should be God you alone are God. You alone are over and above. You alone are in control. You alone are all that I need. You alone are the one in whom I find my life and my rest. And do you know what? When we pray those things, when that is the world we, 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 we seek to live in, that when that is how we start our day or end our day, when that is the truth that we declare over the lies that surround us, we'll be less fearful to give that invite. It may not mean that that person responds positively, but hey, we trust that that is in God's hands anyway. So let's try praying less. Just another quick one. Where do we go to inform our minds so that our hearts can be filled with the truth? Well, it is an easy and obvious thing, isn't it? We go to his word. One of the amazing things about God and his scripture is that he is a God who reveals, that he is a God who shares, who introduces. We don't have to wrestle with philosophy and reasoning and logic to come to some sort of conclusion about God. But we can sit and we can listen and we can be open to what he says about himself. So my challenge to you is this. Is to spend each and every day of this week before you turn on the news, before you open any apps on your phone. To fill your minds, fill your hearts with some truth about God. Maybe that'll be praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven. There is so much in there, truth which is utterly against the lies that you'll find. You'll be tempted to believe when you turn the news on, when you open the newspaper, when you scroll through that app. Begin your day screaming truth at yourself. We have a Father who is in heaven. Oh, pick a psalm. Psalm 9, for example. It's the 9th of January today. Just read the first 10 verses. Ask yourself, who is the God that I am meeting here? Surely it is a God who is in charge. Surely it is one who is right and fair and just, and then pray about those things. Imagine your day beginning with that, no matter what it is that you faced, but that reassurance, that confidence, that immersing and marinating yourself in the fact that God is in control and he exercises that authority and that power for good and right and just ends. So, fill your hearts, fill your minds, pray less. Here's here's another example, here's another way that you might do it even this week. Write something down that is really worrying you about tomorrow. Or, or another day this week. Something that is, is giving you anxiety. Something that is causing you to, what's it called? Rumor in your mind. Write something down. Now next to that, write down something that is true about God that should help you with that. And so I've already given the example from handing out that invitation. Oh, I'm worried that they they might reject me, that they might think less of me. Well, here's the truth. Paul shares in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That no matter how fragile that relationship you have with an individual is, the relationship you have with God the Father through Christ the Son, by his Spirit, is unshakable, unbreakable. Write down something that is, is stressing you out, that is controlling your thinking, and then write down something that is true about God, That should really help you in that situation. Not a solution. A truth. And then pray about that. Enjoy that and rest in that. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a people of prayer. Like those we encounter in God's word. That we have been encountering in God's word time and time and time again. And I believe that one of the things that we need to do is to pray less, to take prayer as an opportunity to immerse ourselves in him, his goodness, his kindness, for us to be built up, for truth to be louder than the lies, so that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we go through it with the Christ who says he will always be with us. Try it for yourselves this week. If after seven days, it's made no difference, then go back to your old habits in your own ways. But I am convinced that when we pray less, that's not a frequency of prayer. That's the the content of prayer, the scope of prayer. When we pray less, we will be praying far, far more. God bless you. Amen.